Welcome to Catholic Family News, a special report. And today we're delighted to bring you a conversation that I'm having with uh, Father Armand de Malaray. Uh, through the wonders of technology, we are speaking uh, across the Atlantic Ocean. He's joining us from uh, the United Kingdom uh, to speak about the most recent book he published. Uh, Father uh, de Malaray uh, is uh, French and after after completing a master's degree at the University of the Sorbonne and then teaching in Budapest, uh, he entered the seminary uh, in Vigraspad, Germany and was ordained in 2001 and uh, since then has been a priest of the uh, priestly fraternity of St. Peter. Uh, he spent most of his time working in the United Kingdom uh, in apostolates uh, across all of Great Britain. Uh, except for a short period of several years where he had uh, uh, more an administrative role uh, for uh, the fraternity. And it's a personal pleasure to, to be able to bring, welcome him today. Uh, I met Father, I, I think, very shortly after his ordination when he was a very young priest. I think it was certainly within the first year. Uh, and it's very nice to be reacquainted today. So uh, welcome to Catholic Family News, Father. We're delighted to uh, speak with you today. Hello. Uh, so, hello. Uh, so this is the book. This is my copy. See, I've been uh, reading it as my spiritual reading for the uh, past several weeks. Uh, it is uh, in English, It Is I, uh, and uh, it was published by Sophia Press. And at the end, we'll, we'll talk about how you can acquire a copy. Uh, but it is a book. It's very hard to categorize because it's a very unique book, but a book about the, the most blessed sacrament uh, is the, the simplest way to say it. So, Father, if we could begin, maybe explain uh, to us why you wrote this book uh, at this particular time. Why did you think this book needed to be written in our moment in history? Well, thank you very much. Well, in a way, of course, you know, the Eucharistic doctrine and faith is so much at the core of our Catholic identity that uh, one could say it's always a good time to speak about it. And uh, like what we say about Our Lady, uh, of Our Lady, we never say too much. Well, we can say the same about the, the Eucharist. But as, uh, as you will be aware, of course, there is a, a very severe uh, crisis in the faith in the Holy Eucharist uh, these days. And uh, there was that uh, survey in the US in uh, 2019, where it stated, if it is to be trusted, that uh, only 31% of Catholics in the US believe in the real presence. So that's less than a third. And that's just for the Catholics. So it is obviously a great concern uh, for any, any Catholic, laity or clergy. And I'm very glad to hear uh, that uh, a revival is, uh, is planned in the US with a special reflection uh, you know, by the, the bishops and in many dioceses uh, for this year or the, the years to come. So in a way, that book, uh, Ego Amy, It Is I, uh, comes as a, one of the resources which will be available for the American uh, audience. Uh, excellent. And uh, we do have a large American audience, although we do have uh, viewers who, who really come from across the globe, a lot from uh, south, um, Southern Hemisphere, even uh, New Zealand, Australia. But uh, no, it, it is, uh, again, from my perspective, reading the book, uh, clearly you lay out doctrinally the, 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 the points of doctrine of the mystery that the church has clarified for us. Uh, but then also, 
really illustrate that through a lot of uh, imagery and uh, stories. And, and you talk, I think, in the opening of the book about a story when you were a seminarian uh, and uh, an experience that you had of, of uh, attending mass in Italy and, uh, and, and how that deepened the experience, your understanding of the, the mystery, and then helped you uh, do this. So to what extent do you think the crisis that you talked about is is just intellectual, people don't understand the doctrine, or is is different from that? It's 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 uh, practical in a certain sense. Do you have some thoughts on that? The the good news coming back to that survey in the U.S. in uh, 2019 is that although less than a third believe in the real presence, mm. it doesn't mean that two thirds disbelieve in that uh. doctrine. It's mm. just that they were never told. Mm. They, they, they never got the information that our blessed Lord is present for mm. real in the host and in the chalice, not symbolically. Uh, mm. It was never explained to them and taught in a way which is consistent, authoritative and, and convincing. So mm. uh, although, of course, the, the, the survey is, uh, is very worrying, um, it's also good to see that if most people haven't ticked the box, I believe, it's not that they don't want to believe. It's just mm. that we need to tell them. Mm. And I guess how does the church tell us in, in that sense? The church tells us has catechisms or doctrines, but you, you spend several chapters talking about aspects of the liturgy and rubrics and how is it that, that the church tells us through these other other means, not just through words? Well, certainly the, the liturgy is the key. And mm -hmm. um, I, I was brought up in the Mass in, in French, in my, mm -hmm. in my country of origin, in France, and in the country, and in, in Paris. And um, it's later on only that I discovered the traditional Latin Mass. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I, you know, I was interested in it, and I read about it. I spoke with people, I prayed. And to make it short, I joined the uh, FSSP. And mm -hmm. since then, I've been uh, offering Holy Mass and uh, doing benediction of the Blessed Sacrament and uh, every act of worship according to these Roman traditions of the church. And it mm -hmm. is true that uh, from the start, I have felt that my faith in the Eucharistic dogma, mm -hmm. uh, the real presence, the uh, uh, the the also in the fragments, the concomitants, all the care, yes. the reverence, uh, which is um, you know, used uh, to, to handle the second species. This was stronger in me because the traditional liturgy, uh, without any ambiguity, states that uh, reality of the Eucharistic presence. Hmm. So maybe you can share your perspective, particularly as a priest, because some critics of the traditional Latin Mass might say, well, it's very restrictive. There are all these rules. It, 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 everything that has to be done, it's very too precise. It doesn't allow uh, for flexibility. But, but how, from a priest's perspective, do those rules, like you mentioned, for example, the being careful of the fragments or uh, having to genuflect as soon as the consecration occurs. How do those help you as a priest to appreciate what you are actually doing? Well, the good thing with the traditional way of saying Mass is that it's not about the priest and it doesn't mm. sort of rest on my initiative or, or improvisation. I, I only need to follow 
what is printed in red in, uh, in, in the missile. And uh, I don't see that at all as uh, restrictive, but rather mm -hmm. as, as a guide, as something that sets me free, because then I can really be focused on the mystery and uh, being confident that step by step, I am guided by the wisdom of the church, by rubrics and, and gestures and words, which have not been uh, improvised you know, uh, recently, but indeed have the, uh, the stamp, the seal of, of inspiration from the church and generations of saints and doctors and martyrs and holy virgins uh, for centuries and centuries. So I feel that I am part of that uh, you know, uh, very safe uh, and, 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 uh, and grace-filled path. And it's, uh, it's a great joy and, and a grace to walk it, really. So um, one, and, and again, there's so many details in the book. I really recommend you know, the best thing to our viewers today to read the entire book. But there's one uh, passage that really struck me that I wanted to, to see if you could explain for our, our uh, viewers. As when you were speaking about transubstantiation and answering objections to people who say we, we can't believe in this. Uh, and you brought up a very contemporary example. And that's, I do want to note, really good about the book. It obviously has many traditional points and, and historical points, but also uh, brings them to a contemporary context. And you speak about the issue of abortion uh, and explain how people are, are accepting an, an analogous idea of transubstantiation, a, a, a false idea that the devil's planted in accepting abortion. And, and it was really very insightful. So maybe could you elaborate and explain that point in the book for our viewers? Because I found that really very, very insightful. Yes, thank you. Well, um, with, with abortion, uh, those who support it say that um, whatever is in the womb of a mother is too small to count as a human being. And there's a parallel with the Holy Eucharist in the traditional approach when we traditionally, we say, a fragment, even though it's much smaller than a full host, it still is Jesus fully. And uh, the traditional understanding of uh, the human presence in the womb is that size doesn't matter. Size is irrelevant to the reality of the presence. So one can draw an analogy there between the care and determination to mm. uh, stand up for the unborn, for these tiny, tiny human beings in size, uh, but yet real, real persons. And on the other hand, uh, uh, the, the real presence of our Lord in the Holy Eucharist, regardless of the size of the host, and therefore the care which Holy Mother Church has always displayed in uh, gathering the small fragments of, of host. Mm. And on transubstantiation specifically, uh, those who perhaps mock Catholic doctrine and say, uh, well, you know, it still looks like bread before and after consecration or looks like wine before and after. So how can you say there is a change? And a bit tongue in cheek, but of course, the topic <laughs> is extremely grave. Um, I, I said, well, actually, um, many of these people are at the same time supporters of abortion. And I was just pointing to the fact that before the abortion laws, are voted, everybody agrees in the womb of a mother, there is not something but somebody. And after the abortion law is voted, 
apparently the parliament and then the country has to say, well, it is not somebody anymore, it is something in the womb of the mother. Despite the fact that externally nothing has changed. The size of the limbs, uh, whatever moves and, uh, and grows in the womb of the mother, uh, externally is the same. And yet the state would like us to believe that there has been a substantial change. So I sort of used uh, that analogy to uh, show at least that it is uh, not irrational, uh, the Catholic position, to believe in transubstantiation. Excellent. Yes, as I said, um, this this is just one example where there are a lot of very contemporary uh, issues or analogies that are, are used throughout the book. Um, but maybe if we can and shift a little bit. I know, and our, I know you've been very interested in art for a long time. I remember back in London when we used to live there, you were uh, taking Catholics to the, the wonderful museums uh, to talk about how art uh, informs the soul. And I, I believe you've published uh, some things on that same topic, Art for the Souls. Um, and in that sense, I'd like to talk, return to the topic of rubrics that we talked about. And, and how, in a certain sense, can we learn that from uh, traditional art, that artists, the rules or the, the rules of art or the forms that artists have to learn and master, how that does uh, not restrict the artist, but actually support them. Do you, do you see an analogy in that with the priesthood and as we talked about the rules surrounding the Blessed Sacrament, I, I think you used the word a few minutes ago, freeze the priest. Do, do you think there is an analogy with uh, that classical understanding of art? Certainly, um, I personally, I, I'm not very interested in modern art and especially <laughs> in, uh, in abstract and uh, non-figurative uh, depictions. Yes. Um, I'm not saying that there's nothing to, you know, to find in it, but it seems to me very arbitrary and subjective and uh, does not seem to require actual technical skills the way it is required to uh, draw the portrait of somebody mm. or you know, paint a still life or architecture or whatever we want. Mm. Um, perhaps, yes, with the, the traditional liturgy, uh, it is the same in as much as everything is prescribed uh, it does require training mm. i am i am sad when i speak sometimes with um, uh, priests who are in, in parishes or seminarians in diocesan seminaries and when they tell me over there, by their own admission that their uh, liturgical formation has been minimal and it's not rare that a priest will arrive at his first mass without having been properly trained to offer mass. Mm. Uh, it's not their fault, it's just the way things, you know, things happen, and they are very goodwill. But certainly, by contrast, uh, in the uh, priestly fraternity of St. Peter, we, uh, we, we have you know, long training, and uh, we are guided step by step. And again, all these rubrics are there to, to help us serve mm -hmm. the great mystery mm. of the Holy Eucharist with uh, as much dedication and precision as we can. Mm. And um, perhaps from to me about the priest perspective, uh, what advice would you give to uh, uh, laity of goodwill? And I think your point is very important that we really uh, need to understand in times where where people are not formed and even priests, as you say, sadly, are just not told uh, to, to, to be very careful and not not jump to conclusions and judge people and understand 
people may be of very good will and God sees that and it's not their fault that they don't understand. But what advice would you give to this lady maybe of goodwill who, who sense they don't know? How can they deepen uh, their appreciation for the, the Blessed Sacrament? If you had a, a few practical points, what would they be uh, you, that you'd say to someone? Well, we, we cannot love what we do not know. Mm. And uh, this is why, uh, allow me to show the book here. So, yes. um, Ego Amy, It Is I, and this yes. is published by the uh, Sophia uh, Institute Press. Sophia Institute Press, Ego Amy, It Is I. And so the, the purpose of the book is precisely to equip uh, mm. the average in a believer with uh, uh, sufficient knowledge, mm. uh, definitions as simple as under the externals of bread and wine, that is Jesus Christ, true God and true man, really, truly, substantially present with his body, mm. blood, soul, and divinity. Now, what I've just said in a few seconds, which I'm sure to many of those who are listening to us uh, seems very, uh, very complex and perhaps a bit difficult mm. to handle. Now, let's yes. realize, dear friends, that Children the age of seven, some 50 years ago, would have known that definition by heart yes. and would have been able to explain every term in it without difficulty. And so we have really collapsed. The standards of uh, you know, basic faith have collapsed. And that's why we must start to learn it again. And that's also to come back to one of your uh, earlier questions, uh, Brian. In the book... It is not designed as something difficult because I, I, I know what it is when you are not well trained and you can be a bit daunted, a bit afraid. So that's why I have stories in it. I have examples, uh, you know, biographical uh, stories. And also because my training at the Sorbonne was in literature. And so I use mm. that a bit to make it more palatable, a bit more diverse and to give uh, any reader various entries, various angles into that mystery. But ultimately, we need to know our faith. And that's one of the great things with the internet nowadays um, is that we, we can find online, even on the Vatican website, uh, all these encyclicals on the Holy Eucharist. Uh, you could read even, you know, uh, um, Ecclesia de Eucharistia uh, by John Paul II, where the traditional doctrine of the church on the Holy Eucharist is uh, summarized in a very useful way. And what about, because you do speak about... Um... Uh, and you mentioned benediction, Eucharistic adoration. And, and how would you explain for people who say, okay, I understand the, the blessed uh, sacrament, but it's the point is just to receive it, to go to communion, and, and who maybe don't understand, well, why, why would we go to church when Mass isn't going on or when we can't receive communion? What's the, the value of uh, maybe of just two or three people in the church before the monstrance or, or just a, a group for benediction? Yes, well, when we, when we pray uh, our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, we do it for ourselves, but of course, we also do it as intercessors. We, mm. we pray for other people who perhaps would like to be there and we're not able to, or people who don't know about this great mystery. So in a way, we are always there uh, also as ambassadors, as members of the mystical body of Christ the Church, we intercede for our fellow members. And so our presence there is, is so important because we, we, we channel, in a way, uh, the needs uh, and, uh, of people and the graces uh, of God to these people, uh, not only as priests, of course, which uh, an ordained priest uh, would do 
uh, as part of, of his mission, but also as baptized people. You know, lay people praying there, mm -hmm. they will carry the uh, the needs and the prayers, petitions of people they love. Um, for Holy Mass in particular, uh, this is so important, and uh, this is also why priests should offer Mass every day, regardless of how many people are in the pews. Uh, in fact, if even if there were nobody at all, that would not be a reason not to say Mass, because uh, the fruits of uh, this wondrous action reach much further than simply the walls of the church building. They apply to the needs of the church universally, uh, and not only those living on earth, as we know, but also uh, those, for instance, in purgatory. Wonderful. Well, maybe in our, our last uh, few minutes, we can move a little bit from, from the book, which again, I'll show where you can purchase it before we leave. But um, uh, as Father said, Ego Imi, it is I. Uh, and talk about your work in England. Uh, although I know, as I mentioned, it was interrupted for a few years. You've been there for over 15 years. Uh, tell us a little bit about your apostolate there and maybe how the past two years have been. You know, we've, we've reported a little bit on the, the difficulties in the, in the country over the past two years, like the rest of the world. But uh, what, what have you seen from a um, perspective of a priest working there? And uh, um, just maybe a little description about how things have been in the United Kingdom. We are privileged in England to be in the land of the martyrs. Uh, mm. You do have great martyrs in America, St. Isaac Jogues and, and so many others. But here, yes. in a way, it's even more visible because the territory is smaller and uh, mm. uh, the monasteries, convents uh, were much more numerous. So we have all these ruins of uh, wonderful abbeys, cistercians, etc. And so we, we see how the, uh, the evil inspiration of one man, King Henry VIII, uh, has mm. really been uh, enough to, uh, to pull down everything. Thank God we were able to rebuild things in the 19th century. And uh, uh, during one century, the church in this country, in England, was strong and was, was growing. Since the 1950s, it's been a slow decline, uh, accelerated since the 1970s. And of course, uh, uh, this culminating in the last two years, when for the first time ever, all the churches were shut down and the public right. offering of the Holy Sacrifice of the, Christ, uh, of the cross was simply uh, forbidden. And so uh, this has been a very difficult time for us, just like for you know every believer in the world. But uh, the positive thing is that I believe it has rekindled a uh, hunger and thirst for the Holy mm. Eucharist. Certainly in our beautiful church here in Warrington, St. Mary Warrington, a Pugin church, a very famous architect mm. in the 19th century, um, we, we have seen many more people knock at our doors and, and come and become part of our congregation in the, in the last year in particular, after the end of the lockdown. People who did not know about the traditional mass, but these people were adamant on one thing. They would want to receive our blessed Lord, not on the hand, but on the tongue. And why mm. is that? Not because they wanted to be difficult, but simply because <laughs> they believed that each fragment, it is God. And so they mm. didn't want to take any chances with fragments being lost, you know, and mm. trampled underfoot or etc. So they looked around for churches where uh, they could receive on, on the tongue. And that was uh, 
almost forbidden everywhere during uh, you know the, the, the regulations anti-COVID. And because in the traditional form, uh, there is only that option, it's only on the town mm. or nothing. And so I have permission from my archbishop here in Liverpool to do it according to the traditional right. And so more people found that option and said, uh, well, I want that. And then they discovered that why we do that is just, just because we like it, but it's also because it's part of the traditional mass. And these people stayed, and now they love mm. the traditional mass. Well, that's very good to hear, because that, that has been my impression here in the United States, that notwithstanding the difficulties that God allowed the past two years, it's it's beautiful to see him bring goodness out of that and and have it awaken in people new understandings. And, and also, what I know from that story is, the richness of the church's history and 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 the mass that that you never know what aspect of it will awaken a new devotion in people maybe it's the the sacred music maybe it's the 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 language the the words maybe it's the gestures perhaps it's just the simple fact of as you just said receiving on on the tongue uh, that that will attract someone's attention and and uh, it really sounds beautiful if we just continue to offer that and let leave to god to stimulate what what will appeal to individual people to reawaken their their devotions? That's uh, that's beautiful to hear. Well, as I, I mentioned, and before we go, uh, the Sophia Press, and we've highlighted several of their books. They've really done a wonderful job uh, in the past several years publishing uh, very edifying books. And uh, Father Armand de Malray, uh, it is I, Ego Imi. Uh, which uh, you can order directly from their website, and we'll have a link to it uh, in uh, all of these formats which you're watching or listening, but there you'll see it. Uh, it's only $17.95, so you know probably just a little bit more than if you had a nice lunch uh, uh, that you can acquire such richness. So put that in perspective. Uh, certainly uh, well well worth, and I would recommend uh, reading. As I said, I've been using it as my spiritual reading the, to prepare for this, and it's been very very fruitful. So, uh, unless is there anything else you'd like to add before we depart, Father? No, I apart from asking you, uh, all of you listening to this uh, interview, to to pray for priests uh, that uh, those who are priests already should be uh, holy priests, and those who are called to become priests uh, should uh, answer the call with uh, with confidence and uh, a real desire to serve God and souls. Yes, excellent. Thank you, Father. We are recording this uh, the day, the Feast of St. Athanasius, but right after the Good Shepherd Sunday. Uh, so it is certainly a good week to pray for vocations and pray for their perseverance. Well, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and uh, please continue to write. We appreciate your work. Uh, for thank those you, Brian. Of you who Oh, thank you. For those of you joining us, please help us. Uh, if you appreciated this free content we've made available, please help us by sharing this video uh, with everyone you know. Uh, we can't afford to pay these various channels to promote our content, so we rely on your generosity to help share this and bring it to people's attention. So thank you, and I look forward to seeing all of you, and may God bless you until our next visit. Oh.